Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by a special guest. He is the host of Locked on Thunder, the leader of the Darius Baisley bandwagon, even though it's over in Phoenix now. I think now it's the Butler bandwagon, Ryland Styles. What's going on? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're we're still we're still cooking in Phoenix. I hope that Baisley gets some minutes tonight. But I'm uh, brought you on here because you are an expert on the Oklahoma City Blue, and I wanted to do some player grades and evaluate the season. So some different guys who are sort of in and out of the Thunder's rotation went to the Blue, went back up. But let's start with Usman Jang. Um, what was your uh, what were your takeaways of his season with the Blue? Yeah, I thought that Usman Jang like did not get enough credit for what he went through this season, especially because he did a lot of improvement just with the Blue themselves. And it's it's hard to to watch the Blue just as a casual observer of the Thunder basketball team, right? If you're a fan, they play at noon, they play you know on ESPN Plus, they play like all these different areas where you're not really thinking about it, and oftentimes they play when the Thunder play, and you're trying to watch the Thunder, so. That kind of goes under the radar a bit, uh, but for Usman, I, I think that battling through that wrist injury twice at summer league and then uh, during the season was tough. But you you continuously saw improvement from him at the blue level, where his shot looked really good in the G League. It, it looked promising to where I don't have as many concerns as if he will improve as a shooter. It's more so how much will he improve as a shooter. I think that he really does have that touch to be a good three-point shooter or at least a, a average three-point shooter in the NBA, which is really promising considering the defense that he gives you. He can be a really high-level defender. And then he still had moments in the G League, especially early on, where he wasn't really assertive. He was just kind of floating around out there, not wanting to kind of mix it up. But as he got through that wrist injury, when he really came back from that injury, uh, it was mainly with the G League, so not a lot of people saw it, but he did play with a lot more force and, and a lot more aggression at that level. And, and we've seen that flash and be translated to the NBA in small doses. That Hawks game was really good. The last game of the year was really good. But in the G League, it became more consistent uh, of him being aggressive and him being a, a guy that wanted to get in the mix for rebounds, wanted to wanted to uh, you know have the ball in his hands and go try to make a play. and Getting that more out of him and, and less of the floating stuff was really good to see from Usman Jang in the G League. But overall, I think that he had a better rookie season than people maybe think because he didn't do it on the NBA stage. No, I, I, I'd agree with that. And um, he definitely had the vibe of like the freshman player in high school who got to play with the varsity team. Who it's like, I just don't want to screw this up. I just I can't be I can't make really loud mistakes. And you could see him get a little bit more comfortable, but how would you, I guess, evaluate or explain just the difference in his role on the G League team with the Blue compared to how he's playing with the Thunder? Because it's sort of night and day in terms of responsibility. Yeah, with the with the G League team, he, he got the ball in his hands a lot more and he was able to initiate some things uh, a lot more. And and the, the Blue did try to mirror and, and Cam Woods tried to mirror exactly how the Thunder play. And so there were games where Usman's role looked completely different, and 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 he was uh, the lead playmaker, and he was someone that was that was uh, initiating the offense and and was the main focus and main top, you know, the main main guy on the team. There were also games where it was Lindy Waters uh, that, that that had that role, where it was Jared Butler who who created and and, and Abdul Gaddy who created, and Usman was just kind of a, a, a tertiary player offensively and a lead guy defensively. So he got a little mix of both, even in the G League. And I, I think that overall that was good for him to, to still get to be in a role where he was kind of more comfortable in as a creator, which is what he did a lot in the NBL uh, for his size, especially. And then also get to play off ball. I, I think that it was really translatable what he did with the blue to what he can do with the thunder. Cause a lot of his creation with the blue didn't necessarily come with like walking the ball up the floor, setting up the half court offense and then running plays. A lot of his creation came from 
uh, hey, you know, Robert Wooder got a rebound and pitched it to him, and then he ran transition. And and that's going to be the playmaking that he does in the, in the NBA, too. I don't think that you're going to, you know, have him running half-court offense in the NBA, but having him run the run in transition with his rim finishing, which was really good this year on small sample size at both levels, it was really good in the NBA. It was really good at the G League. Easier said than done in the G League, but 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 you know in the NBA it was really good on small sample size. Uh, but so like having him be able to do that with his passing is really really good, especially as he becomes a much better defender uh, and can stop possessions and be that stopper to start transition. So I, I think that the role offensively was a lot of the same of what you want to see in the NBA. Uh, with, with a little bit more uh, playmaking uh, uh, duties than what you will see. So I think that overall they did a good job of of finding that balance for him of like, you know, kind of if you want to use a Skittles and broccoli thing, kind of they gave him the Skittles of like, hey, you can be our little playmaker here today. Uh, but also you've got to go play off ball and, and, and run off screens and, and, and work around uh, other guys on the team. It's a tough thing because you want to develop these guys with more on ball touches and more on ball opportunities but at the same time if you do that you're kind of preparing him for something that he's not going to get at the NBA level but I'm confident like you said that the shot will come it just a matter of how good of a shooter he'll be I think his body's going to continue to fill out I think the the coolest thing I can say about him is at 19 he went moved across the world to Australia uh, and played there with um language barrier and then again moves across the world to Oklahoma with another thing where he's still learning the language and he got a lot better throughout the season just in the press scrums but that's that's a battle in its own just let alone going from playing um overseas to playing in the NBA now yeah and he got a lot better you know when the blue it's it's either me or one other person with me like so like the scrums are a lot different with the blue and, and you could tell that he he really took those opportunities um Kind of seriously to 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 try to get more comfortable uh, with, with talking to people. It's it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to talk to people in general. Uh, imagine you sitting on the podium after you do your job and people question every little move you made on your Excel spreadsheet. It wouldn't really be comfortable for you, even if you have English as your first language. But especially um, if you have English as your second or third or fifth language. Uh, but Usman, Usman did really good this year in the in the G League. Like some other things that stood out was his catch and shoot numbers. I mean, catch and shoot a thirty nine percent on the catch and shoot in the G League. That was that was encouraging, especially because that's what you're going to be looking for him to do. Uh, coming off of screens, he was excellent. Uh, 1.2 points per possession coming off of screens, 61% uh, shooting percentage off of screens. He was a great cutter, 1.3 points per possession uh, on cuts. Like all those things added up, and and that's where you're seeing Kim Woods put him uh, curling off screens and and cutting to the basket and using catch and shoot opportunities. Th- that's what's going to be kind of Mark's vision for him as well. So that 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 transparency that that consistency helps him but also helps the thunder in general to put him in those opportunities um um, to really thrive so i love what we saw in that aspect from him offensively and then defensively uh, he he fit in their zone defense a lot uh, really well whenever they had to use that but also as an isolation defender in the g league usman jang ranked in the 79th percentile in the entire league and only about 0.6 0.6 points per possession and he limited his opposition on isolation attempts to 33% from the floor uh, in those opportunities. So like, he was a really good player in the G League um, that, that I think, uh, again, didn't get enough credit for how, how much he made those, those improvements consistently throughout the year. 17 points per game, eight rebounds, three assists in the G League. He was really good. And you mentioned his defense. I was really surprised by that, even going back to Summer League, just like, man, this guy really moves his feet well, and he stays in front of guys, and he's really disciplined. You see a lot of younger guys like we saw with the Thunder, where they everyone and their mom on the Thunder roster fouled Jimmy Butler in Miami that one game. But Oos is one of those guys who's very disciplined with his hands and his feet. He doesn't jump for a lot of those things. And I think that's going to be something that translates and hopefully carries on to next year to get him some more minutes. But what were your some some of your preseason expectations for him? I know that you cover a lot of the draft stuff. So did you have any sort of hopes for him or ideas of, you know, maybe this is what we'll see? Yeah, I think that it's interesting to look at Usman Jang, and, and you mentioned the other flashes too. Was that Golden State game? Whenever he, you know, there was a possession where he literally just took the ball out of Curry's hands yes. on, the, on the perimeter. Which, again, watching Usman Jang play this season, and, and I want to stress that the Thunder told us like they've watched him since he was 16 years old and locked in on him as a guy that they want. Knowing that information, that Sam Presti in this in this in this kind of front office that gets really a lot of credit around the NBA has locked in on a guy since he's 16. 
And then, and then we just went through all these flashes that he showed us. That is enough flashes to where people should be really excited about Usman Jang. And I think that instead, the conversation around Usman Jang is like really down right now. And, and I don't necessarily understand that because we we have seen him do it against the best of the best, like Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, or what, what, everything that, that that what happened this season. And then also in the G League where he was supposed to thrive and did thrive. And, and, that, and that's easier said than done. There's been many players uh, who, who go to the G League and just don't take it seriously and, and, and look terrible uh, instead of actually getting better. And he got better. And you saw that uh, with Usman throughout the season. But going back to the preseason, uh, I, I think that the expectations were a little bit different because the expectations for the team were different. Like I, I mm-hmm. thought that that we would see Usman Jang play every minute of every game starting in, on March 1st. And instead, uh, you know, they were they were battling to get him minutes um, um, for for the rotational purposes of trying to win basketball games. So it changed a little bit. Uh, but overall, I, I thought that you'd hopefully see an improvement from from him as a as a three point shooter, uh, at, which I think that we did at both levels from where he was last year in the, in the NBL. And then I was hoping that you would see that defense translate immediately. And it did, which is good, because I think that this, this staff can really work with his raw tools on that end of the floor and get him a lot better uh, defensively than even where he is already. So I, I think overall, he gets a passing grade for the expectations were uh, because he was always viewed as a project. Like everyone knew this was going to take time and it is going to take time. Uh, and, and the only thing that changed was we didn't get to see him or from you know March 1st. If he got the Isaiah Roby treatment, this year, like people would be all over Usman Jang right now, because like, yeah. because you'd have been able to see what what we all saw in the G League. You'd be able to see that on the NBA stage, and it gets you even more excited for for, for next year. So he did what he needed to do. He had those Isaiah, you know, Roby minutes. It just happened in the G League at, at noon with nobody in the stands except for maybe a field trip day of, of kids from Woodward Elementary School. And things would have been different if he didn't have that injury. I think you would have seen more Thunder time. I'm looking at his G League stats. I thought this was interesting. For basketball reference, the G League um, has him at 6'9", 185, but then the NBA basketball reference has him at 6'10", 216. So a little bit, some numbers getting jumbled up here. Something's going on. We're going to have to get in some investigative reporting here. Right, yeah, we got to right? get to the bottom of this. Uh, I'm Blue Media Day, I'm going to ask him, Woods, hey, why'd you lie about his height and weight on the, on, the, on the basketball reference page? First question to Sam. There you go. Yeah. We, we need to ask about the important things. But yeah, Us, he moves really well. Um, do you project him more as like a small ball five or a four? I don't know that he has the physicality to play five. I mean, he's sort of already lacking some of that force, but he's definitely a guy who is bigger in person and bigger than you would expect, especially on the floor and a guy who can do a lot of things out there. Yeah, I think that the safest projection is a four. And, and like that's just kind of what he is. I, I think that playing the five for him wouldn't look like say Jeremy Grant playing the five where you can like do it for a long time, but in more so like, Hey, for five minutes here, we're going to put him at the five and just try to outpace the other team and score a bunch of points in this five minute stretch and then go back to a conventional lineup and, and get him more in a comfortable position. But for right now, let's run fast. Let's try to, let's try to squeak by. Let's, let's try to steal some minutes. Maybe, maybe it's because of injuries. Maybe it's because of, you know, a guy not playing well, but they're going to try to steal some minutes with who's at the five, not necessarily play him at the five, consistently so i think that overall he'll be a four in the nba and i think that that's kind of the only position that he can play long term uh because i think that you know the, the four grants him the ability to switch on the perimeter but also staying away from from having to uh do some work down low at the rim which is is not necessarily his strength defensively uh, even though he's a really good defender uh he, he wasn't even really good at defending the rim at uh at the g league level um with when it came down to like post ups. Now, when it came down to like just rotating on the help side, defending at the rim, he's actually in the 94th percentile, uh, you know, coming over, getting blocks, but that's just uh, more so the nature of, of that switching than him kind of being camped down there in the dunker spot, trying to match up with a big body five. And and a lot of teams in the G League don't have big body fives uh, because they're using it as a way to kind of maximize their roster and just put five guys out that they want to develop and, and guys don't typically want to develop a big body five. So, so they actually do have more of the Eugene centers than like a Joel and bead center. Uh, there are some that, that, that are big and beefy uh, in the G league, but, but it's few and far between, especially in the minutes that he's been play. So like the rim protection numbers, get a little bit dicey there, but he did do really well at it um, for, for kind of help side defense in the G league. I agree with that. I think he's a guy that you want to switch onto guards, but not necessarily like your tier one rim protector. I mean, the Thunder have had all types of weird things with that, where it's like Chet can block shots, Shea, and it's like, well, everyone else take charges. 
So that should be interesting, but it's a long season. So what are some of the highs and lows for him? And this could be at the NBA level, G League level. What stood out to you as like his best moments? And then some moments are like, kind of hope this kind of turns around and gets better. Yeah, I think that the lowest point for Usman Jang, there was a stretch whenever the Thunder in blue had those double headers. And so in the G League, they do play the baseball style schedule too. So uh, I believe it was the the game against South Bay. I, I know, I, I think it was South Bay. Uh, it's been a, it, it's been two different teams to keep up with a lot of games. What so bear with me. I might not have been South Bay. It might have been Sioux Falls. They played uh, the, the same the same team twice in a row. And usually the Thunder will call you up, send you back down, call you up, send you back down. And so with Usman Jang, he played in, in the games are like at noon, and and it, no one was there because it wasn't a field trip day. So there's like ten people there because it's, it's noon on a Monday. Nobody can go. And he was just, he was just as the, as the Twitter meme goes out there doing cardio, like he wasn't engaged defensively. He wasn't engaged offensively. He didn't really show up at all for two straight games, uh, which I think was more so maybe the environment of, of, of no one being there. And you just got quote unquote sit down. So maybe you feel like that's a demotion or something, but overall, like there were, there were games like that where he just wasn't engaged on either end. And, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to like condemn him for that at the G League level because you know would he have been not engaged at the NBA level? Who knows? Uh, but at the G League level, he was. There were games where he just he was just non non forceful. When if he was forceful, he'd be one of the best players on the floor uh, against against certain G League teams. He just did not take advantage of that. And you want to have that that mentality every game of, of being an offensive force player uh, because he has the tools that that you can be encouraged by uh, whenever whenever he whenever he wants to be. And then the highs, that game in Atlanta was a high, not just because the counting stats were, were big, but because of how comfortable he looked and confident he looked uh, against Atlanta at the NBA level with against the Hawks uh, before the wrist injury, like days before the wrist injury. Uh, th- that was a big high for him. And then at the G League level, the high for him was there's this game where he scored like 20 points and had like 10 rebounds and a, and a dunk, like a, like a, ferocious dunk uh, at the rim as an offensive player. He was in the 80th percentile at the rim, uh, 1.35 points per possession in the G League. And he just had everything clicking for him. And I think that as the season went on, the biggest the biggest encouraging sign was as the season went on, he kind of, you could, you could see him adding to his game the Lindy Waters curling off a screen, jacking up a three immediately. Like that, he was never that confident to do that at the start of the season. You could see him defensively barking out orders. And it's easier to see whenever you're sitting courtside, nobody's there. You can hear everything. So, so it was a lot easier for me to pick up on that. Like at the start of the year, it was only Jay will communicating defensively. And then DJ Wilson would do it some uh, as a center. It was mainly just the centers. At the end of the year, Usman Jang was like telling guys, pointing to guys, telling them how to switch, where to go, uh, when the screen's coming. Like he, he was involved in that where he wasn't before. And getting that, getting more engaged in that was really encouraging because if he's willing to do that night in and night out, he, plus his defensive tools that we already know about that's going to be really really awesome for him moving forward so overall uh, i thought that there was more highs than lows but the low point for every for everything with usman was there there are times where he's just not engaged and was that a rookie thing was that a is that going to be a consistent theme for him that's the worrisome part uh, but other than that he, he did show flashes that would be my biggest concern i mean it's it's a long season there's going to have some nights where some guys just don't have it that's just what it is but just him floating like you talked about there are just times out there where you're watching the game you're like i wonder when Oos is going to get in it's like he's been in the last five minutes you're like what i haven't i haven't seen him he, has he touched the ball has he like is he just like you said getting cardio he plays defense he kind of runs back and forth and the high point would be that hawks game like you mentioned he had 15 points six of eight from the field three of four from three with five rebounds and assists in 19 minutes and the thunder win over the hawks in a game where it's not like he was playing blowout time like he was playing integral minutes in a game where they needed to win against a playoff team on the road. So that's definitely something that's going to be interesting. But I'm uh, definitely curious to see what he adds over the offseason. But what would your grade be for him? And you can average this out between the blue and the thunder, give it separate grades, or I'll, I'll leave it up to you as the, the, the dean of the thunder blue. The dean of blue admissions? Oh, gosh, I need to, I need to work with Nas Muhammad in the front office or something if you're going to give me this title. But... I would say if you averaged it, like if you want to do, if you want to do both leagues combined into one, uh, it'd be it'd be up to a B minus uh, for him. If you did it separately, I think that his NBA thing was a was a C, 
because you, you did get passing moments, but you also got some bad moments. And then you also got some non-existent moments. So like it all averaged out to a passing grade, but it wasn't, it wasn't incredible, but it, you did pass and you did get a degree. So congratulations. And then in the G league, it, it would be, it would be a, a minus, you know, teetering on onto a B because there were some of those games where even in the G league, he just was floating and just didn't want to get in the mix. But, but once he got through that phase of his, of his career and, and wanted to get in the mix every single game in the G league, he was, he was one of the best players in the league at, at that point, uh, which again, it's only the G league, but still there are some really good players down there uh, that maybe haven't gotten their shot. And I think that what, what also you know inherently boosts up his grade is you could, you could see him learning the lessons from Scotty Hobson, a 40 year old dude that was playing college basketball whenever we were in elementary school and is now hanging around the, the blue and towards ACL sadly this season, but was you, you could see him teaching Usman Jang stuff. Like I said, Jay will and Lindy, Cam Woods, an, an elite developmental coach, helping you know Jang uh, uh, out as well. Like, like so, learning those lessons from those guys and really taking that to heart uh, boosts his grade up a little bit for me too. Uh, overall, from in the G League, so overall, I'd still be very, very uh, encouraged by Usman Jang. I'd have him at a B minus two, and it's just really cool because he could be rightfully really mad and pissed off and just like, well, look how many opportunities J Dub's getting, and look how. Well, he's playing and he's getting all this love and stuff. It's like, I could be doing that. Why am I in the blue? And you didn't really hear any complaining or anything like that. I don't know who's personally, but it feels like he doubled down and really improved on the things that he needed to. I mean, that's not to say that he's just flipped it. And it's like, well, now he's an all star now, but he's made uh, the strides in the right direction. that I think will help him next year. And he's definitely going to be in the thick of it. And just the the mishmash of the rotation of all the bigs and wings that the Thunder have going into next year. But what could he do next season to get a better grade, um, just thunderwise? And then, what would you like to see him work on the most during the off season? So I, I think that obviously the shooting would be like the, the the thing, but that's kind of the case for everyone on the yeah. roster to work on is their shooting. So uh, we'll, we'll blanket statement that with him. I think that next year the the thing's going to be competition from from the onset of training camp. Like Sam Presti and Mark have continued to tell everyone that. They're going to build a roster that's full of internal competition, and, and they want to get to the point where guys don't make it. And 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 he said at the beginning of last season at media day that you know there's 17 guys in that locker room that want to that want to be here at the end of this rebuild that aren't going to, some guys aren't going to be here, and we've already seen some depart. And, and and that time is not coming for Usman Jang, but what is coming is minutes, like minutes this year. Even though Mark's going to still play 10 or 12 guys. Uh, this season, you know, throughout the regular season, like that's going to happen. So, so don't think he's going to play eight players next year on opening night. He's going to play 10 or 12, even though that that shouldn't be a lot of people to, to get minutes to Usman Jang has to be ready to, to, to compete for those minutes from day one. He can't have another uh, season where there's moments where he's not even out there getting involved. And for him, that's going to be a hard thing to, to get going of like there's in the NBA, you you getting involved is diving in, into the lane and getting a rebound. It's cutting back door. It, it, it's it's playing hard defense. It's not necessarily getting the, getting the ball in your hand and, and, and initiating offense. So can you sign up for that for the long haul and, and, and do that consistently? I think that he can, uh, but like for him, he needs to make sure that he would be ready to go from the beginning uh, and earn those minutes because even though they want to play 10 or 12 guys, there's a shot that depending on who you draft in the first round, depending on who you draft in the second round, like they just could could have 10 guys that aren't Usman Jang to play at the NBA level next year. Um, so I, I think that it's not going to be gifted to him despite the flashes that he showed this year. Uh, but overall, just if he's willing to to be a player who wants to stick his nose in it more, then everything else will fall into place because he's already a really good defender at the NBA lands, at the NBA level just already at, at such a young age. So him wanting to cut back door, him him translating these catch and shoot numbers to the NBA the way that he did in the G League, like all those things would add up to the point where he's a solid NBA player at worst. And then we all know what a ceiling could be past that. Again, this is a front office that not only traded three first round picks for him, but has been watching him since he's 16 years old and really banking on him. So like he's their guy. And I think that you see it, as you mentioned with Chang not getting upset about the G League thing, you see it with the trust that, that the Thunder have in him to develop and that he has in them to develop him. So that trust, I think, will breed uh, a really good season next year for, for Usman that sees a lot more NBA time. But of course, he's got to put the work in this summer to be ready for it. And we'll see at Summer League, does he come back a little bit bigger? Does he come back? You know, Is there anything noticeably different about him at Summer League? Or is he just the same guy? 
Yeah. Do they put the ball in his hands more in the summer league? What? Is, how do they use him? Things like that are going to be interesting. You mentioned that Mark likes to play a lot of guys. I'm glad you said that because Mark has options. So it's not like he's going to look down the bench and it's like, well, we have to get Usman. It's like there are other guys fighting for those spots. But the things I'd want him to improve over the offseason, uh, like you mentioned, shooting's a big one, physicality. I noticed this. It's on a very low volume where he's taken like one or two a game, but he shot 65% from the line in the NBA and around 40% in the G League, is there anything that we should be concerned about with that, or is it just like small sample size theater? Yeah, the G League free throws are different too. The free throws are you you shoot one for two, so Good you don't get to shoot two yeah. free throws. So that that cuts down your attempts and everything. And it's a funky environment. It truly is. Like when you go to South Bay, you're playing in the Lakers practice facility. The sight lines are so different. Then you play in the Paycom Center, and you're playing in an NBA environment. But there's nobody behind the basket, so those sightlines for shooters are off. And I think that I think that if if we do some digging, we might see a trend with that free throw attempt. Just also the one for two thing, uh, and the whole uh, again sightlines are different. All these arenas, like we we've we spent a whole a whole season where we saw a a shooting boom from the three point line because there was nobody in in these big gyms uh, behind the basket. So uh, it, it's interesting, but I think that ultimately I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, it didn't it I'll put it to you this way, too. It didn't stand out in the G League because it's one for two because of the pace of the game is so different. Uh, it it wasn't like Kenneth Williams, like Kenneth Williams free throw percentage yeah. this year at the NBA level. We all felt it every time they missed a free throw. It, it was a small sample size on only 20 games and on, on a one for two scale where you didn't really feel it for Usman Jang at the free throw line this year. Well, I'm glad I asked that. And then um, last thing that I'd also like to see from him is just you mentioned Kenrich. I just want him to be like, take your son to work day and you just hang out with him all day. Him and Lou Dort and it's like, watch them run through brick walls. And it's like, that's what you do. But yeah, but Uz, I and thought the, it was a the successful only nerdy thing I have for, mm-hmm. for Usman to work on is pick and roll. And, and I, I'm not going to act like I'm a basketball developmental coach and like I can put him through drills, but at least watch some film of like, even in the G League, he struggled defending the pick and roll, uh, especially defending the ball handlers off of blitzes. Can you get better at that this offseason? Because we know the name of the game in the NBA is a lot of pick and roll heavy offenses, especially as you get down to crunch time and get down to more meaningful games. So I think he doesn't get better at pick and roll defense. That's a good one. We'll have to watch that over the offseason. But moving on to Lindy Waters, what was your blue uh, season breakdown for him? He started a lot more games in the blue at the start of the season and was converted to a full time contract later on. But just wanted your point of view on him. Yeah, I think that that, that Usman Jang and Lindy kind of had polar opposite seasons in a way uh, uh, at the G League level in the sense of it was the same criticisms, only in a different form. There was times where, where Lindy Waters came into the G League and you could just tell, hey, I'm not feeling being here today. And uh, well, I'm just going to jack up 10 threes in the first 10 minutes of the game. And that's just what I'm going to do today because I'm the best player here because Jay was not down with me because Wiggins is not down with me because anyone else from there is not down with me. I'm just going to jack up threes. I'm going to curl off every screen and at the top of the key, I'm just going to shoot a three. That's fine. I mean, he is the best option on the G League team, but but that was few and far between, luckily. But there were games like that for him where he just clearly just wanted to shoot everything that he touched. But there were also games that he took really seriously um, and and moments where he came off the bench for Cam Woods. Like he 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 allowed himself to to be humble or whatever adjective you want to put on that, where he comes off the bench and, and allows other guys to to start the game and, and not disrupt the, the G League team. They had a really interesting balance of having really good G League players like Jemias Ramsey and, you know, DJ Wilson, like really, really good G League players, but also need to develop NBA players to get in their way. And so like, even though this is supposed to be their, their team, you got these guys coming in. So they did a good job of balancing that. But overall, I think that Lindy did a good, good job too, of being a leader on that team. And look, does this really matter at the end of the day that he was helping Abdul Gaddy and helping Robert Wooder and, and, and being there for them? Not necessarily, but it's still a positive thing to see that he was being a leader and taking advantage of that situation that he got put into. That's that's good. Um, but over on the G League, the, the, Lindy did a lot of what you already saw in the NBA. Like his best offense was whenever you set up a screen for him and you can curl off of it and shoot. Um, his worst offense is whenever he's in isolation. And defensively, he was a really, really, really good help side defender and didn't really get put on an island too much on that end of the floor. So Lindy was kind of what you see is what you get. And again, there were games where he's totally engaged and doing everything by the book the right way. And his disengagement was not like floating around like Usman. It was just jacking up threes because I can't because I'm, I'm the best player here and, and, and getting to take advantage of that, too. So overall, I think that the jacking up threes, like like being disengaged 
happen maybe 1% of the season, which is really abnormal for two-way guys that know, hey, I'm, I'm just, especially two-way guys in the Thunder organization that know I'm going to be with the Thunder more often than not. For them to take it that seriously still and for him to take it that seriously still was good. And I think that Cam Woods did a wonderful job helping him get better defensively from where he was night one of both leagues to where he finished. I think that that was all Cam Woods because he did practice with the, with the G league. Uh, he did practice with Andre too, uh, you know, to help him get better defensively. And if you go back to the last two years, whenever Cam Woods was an assistant for the thunder, every player that, that, that got interviewed about their defensive surge uh, throughout those two seasons went back to Cam Woods. And like he's a really good developmental coach, especially defensively. I think that he has a lot of his fingerprints all over Lindy Wire's defense. So you did see that a lot at the G League level too. But overall, Lindy was was one of their best offensive players. It was him and Jemias Ramsey. And so he got to he got to live it up in a different role of being the the, the go-to bucket getter like at Oklahoma State. Absolutely. And uh, Lindy, I'm glad you mentioned defense because he's not a lockdown guy. There were times last year and even earlier this year where you see him out on an island where I was texting a friend who went to high school with him and he was guarding Anthony Edwards. And it's like, Lindy, please be safe as he's just like exploding off the ball. But he he could hold his own whenever needed for possessions at a time. It's not like you could just throw him out there on an Anthony Edwards and just go, you're going to guard him the rest of the game. But he could provide you spot minutes and not be in a position where it felt like he got played off the floor. But did you have any preseason expectations for him? I know it's a little bit different because we probably thought it would be mostly for the blue and less thunder minutes. Yeah. I honestly didn't have any expectations for him. I wasn't like, I wasn't upset that he was on a two way deal. Uh, it, just, it just wasn't really bothered that he was on a two way deal. Like I didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that this was going to be more so again, the blue. And then at the start of March, you, you throw him in there. It's a hometown guy. Maybe you can get some interest uh, in the team late in the season uh, because we're all rooting for him. He's such a nice guy and everything, but he, he was in their playing playing rotation. Like he was, he proved himself to be uh, at least a, a a valuable help defender and, and a valuable shooter on a team that really needed shooting. Uh, I think I think that the biggest thing, not not to jump ahead, is that he needs to be a shooter. Like mm-hmm. the fact that we all just kind of blanketly say, "Oh yeah, he's a shooter." He's a shooter in theory. He, he looks good. He's supposed to shoot. He shoots thirty six percent from three. It's straight the NBA. Yeah. And he misses so many wide open looks. Like it feels like there's a lot of times where there's a big spot in the game. A three here could turn it. You you get it to Lindy wide open and he misses. He's to stay in the NBA. It's a cold business but to stay in the NBA. He's got to hit those shots. He's got to be a better than 36% for the three point shooter. And if he does take that leap as a three point shooter, like he did on the defensive end, then we're talking about a, a, a good rotational piece. If he doesn't though, and he, and he comes back next year, and he's a shooter in theory again. There's not there's not a role for him in the NBA, but at the G League level, he was awesome. I mean, he's in the 90th percentile in the entire league in points per possession at the G League level, uh, not just for the Thunder, the entire league. Uh, he was great off of handoffs, which uh, oddly enough, half of them came from J. Whale, which is, is an NBA partner on these handoffs. He was in the 95th percentile of handoffs, 1.2 points per possession. Uh, he had a point per possession off of screens. And then at the G League level, what he did, be- what he did better than what he does at the NBA level was cutting. As a as an active cutter, he was in the he was in the 92nd percentile, and he had 1.5 points per possessions on cuts for Cam Woods' offense. Uh, so that was encouraging too. Uh, but overall, he had to do a little bit too much pick and roll uh, at the G League level. He he was passable at it, but wasn't good at it by any means. Which it's fine; it's not his game. Uh, but at the G League level, he was uh, good. At the NBA level, we we kind of know the deal. I feel like I feel like the book's out on Lindy Waters. If he can improve his shooting, great. If he can't. Sayonara. Well, it goes back to what Isaiah Joe told us in um, exit interviews where he said, I got to keep the main thing, the main thing with three point shooting. And as good as it is to see Lindy try to expand his game, don't spread yourself too thin. Remember where your bread is buttered. And it doesn't matter if you get a little bit better as a ball handler. It's going to come down to can you survive defensively and can you knock down open shots? Because the Thunder are going to be one of the teams that leads the league in driving. You have guys like Shea, J-Dub, Chet's going to cause get a lot of attention. Giddy can make any passes from any angle. So you're going to get opportunities. It's just on you at that point to knock them down. But um, highs and lows from this season, I think the lows we you kind of hit on it that we were both going to get to is just there's a lot of times where there's some big shots or open shots and moments where it felt like he couldn't come through on those. So hopefully that's something that gets fixed. But what were some of the, the highs, I guess? Yeah, I think that the highs were just those games where he's able to he's able to get 
you know, two or three threes in a row and, and in seven minutes of work, he's turned in two threes and, and gotten a steal. And like that, that is the perfect dosage and usage for Lindy waters. I think is like a 10 minute per game guy that, that you hope can steal those minutes away. Like you hope that, that if you're thin one day, if your matchups aren't going right, that you, you insert him in there, he jolts you with a couple threes and a steal, and then you move on about your day. And that's a tough, tough role to play to be ready for those 10 minutes that might come once a week or twice a week. Uh, and, and then use those 10 minutes to your advantage and like, go, go actually thrive in them in a hurry. That's tough to do, but that that's kind of the role he's going to have to play uh, in his NBA career. And he did that uh, some, like he had those flashes some in the NBA this year. So I think that those are the highs because that's, what's the most uh, sustainable for his role. Yeah. I, I love those bomber lineups with him, Isaiah, uh, Mike Wiggins, and those guys. I thought that was really interesting with Shea out there. Um, just in terms of lows, I don't want it to sound like anti-Lindy, but there are times where I'd, I'd just rather Wigs get those minutes. But I'm glad what you said about those 10-minute spots because Mark has proven that there's not really a doghouse where you're just going to be in it and you can't get back in the rotation. Like You're going to have a chance to get back in and get minutes. But for him, I would just kind of have Lindy as a guy where it's like you mentioned, five, 10 minutes a game. And just in the first three shots with Lindy, you can tell he has it or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, you just pat him on the back and you say, tomorrow, we'll, we'll get him again tomorrow. But I don't think that he's a guy who's going to be like a staple of the rotation who's constantly in there. I think that he's just sort of a, you know, you take a temperature check on him. Yeah, you, you just check in and, and, and he's the perfect player that, like you mentioned, that you can tell. You just have a feeling if, mm-hmm. if he's either on or if he's not on. And if he's not on, then it won't hurt you to just sit him down. And, that, and that's good for him, too. Uh, I think that an, another somewhat low was... Now, this is really just stupid, nerdy stuff. Like, there was a play, and it, 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 this play does not matter at all, but it just is a play to use as an example for what the lows was for Lindy Waters. It was it was that Timberwolves game, at the, the last game of the year, two minutes left, the Thunder have a side out, and he starts on the left wing, goes to the baseline, you know, all before the ball is in battle, goes to the baseline, comes back up, sets a sets a ghost screen, flares out to, to, the, uh, to the right wing, and off that right wing, he gets the ball on the inbound, and and uh, Jay will or no no Jeremiah Robson Earl sorry Jeremiah Robson Earl has two guys walled off to him he doesn't shoot yeah Lindy just doesn't shoot he's wide open he doesn't shoot he just freezes and those guys fight through JRE JRE then flares out to the left wing and instead of having that initial look where he just shoots it and pops it up like a pop a shot uh, for Lindy Waters he goes with a behind the back pass to JRE two steps behind the two steps behind the uh, three point line and JRE throws up a contested three point shot uh, and, and like again that that play doesn't matter there's two minutes left in the blowout game of the last game of the year but that is something that you didn't see in the G League that you, that you saw in the NBA in the G League he would have just pulled that up un- immediately and oftentimes would have made it as we see off of handoffs he shot. 49% from the floor off of handoffs. But the NBA level, there was times where despite it feeling like he shot a ton and despite it feeling like, you know, he jacked up shots, there were times where he was too hesitant. So finding that balance of like not jacking up shots, but also not being timid is going to be the biggest thing for him to work on this offseason because you're right. He shouldn't work on anything else but shooting. He's got to become a true sharpshooter. If he doesn't, then his his NBA career doesn't have a doesn't have a a further on point from here like that's just the bottom line of this business it just doesn't you you can't be a 36 percent sharpshooter there's no role for that yeah so it's getting a more being sorry being a less timid shooter and a more consistent shooter will be key for him i agree and you know it's not just a random play it's a microcosm of some other issues and i don't mean to disrespect the g-league but like the thing that i said about the jv versus the varsity like you can see it with him it's like i should really get it to like shea or some of these other guys and with Lindy, it reminds me of a, a talk I had with a freshman coach when I was in high school, who's Michael Neal, who's now at OU with the women's team. And he told us, he's like, if you ever start missing shots, you need to think there's something wrong with the ball. The AC is weird. The rim's off. Like, it can't be your shot. You need to feel full confidence in that. And that's what I would tell Lindy and hopefully have him learn this offseason. It's like, you need to shoot everything like you are a 100% three-point shooter on those spots where you know the team, it is designed for you to shoot it, not where you're shooting pull-up threes like Jordan Poole did the other day at the end of the game, but just like on his design plays, that shot's got to be automatic, go up. But um, I think we've broken down Lindy enough. Let's move on to Olivier Saar, our second Frenchman of uh, of this pod. What were your uh, breakdown of Olivier this season? Because he was a guy who was added sort of later on, right? Yeah, Sar, uh, my breakdown is sadly going to be less nerdy and, anti- and, and all 
up in arms like the last two were. I just don't believe in Saar. Yeah. Like, you know me. I try to find a I try to find a positive <laughs> in Darius Baisley and Jared Butler. Saar, like I think that people like Saar because when he got in the game, it was like getting a cookie after dinner. Cause like, wow, let's go. We finally get a big man, like a true center, a seven footer that like is not a bean pole seven footer, like a true seven footer in the game right now. He got a rebound. That's awesome. Yeah, he got a rebound. That's cool. Like to me, people like like the change of pace because we haven't seen a traditional traditional center in the, in the Thunder uniform for three years. But when you really watch him, like he just is a big guy who gets in the way. And, like that's what he is in the G League too. Of like only in the G League, him getting in the way is him dunking the ball and scoring a ton and rebounding a ton because he's just bigger than you yeah. and better than you. But at the NBA, he can't bully you. And so when he has no no skill to score then he gets limited in the NBA. And look, he was good for like a two-way player that came in it, it, whenever you had all those plethora of, of big man injuries and played five minutes at a time or 10 minutes at a time. He was good. And that's cool. But like, that's just what he is. And like, there's there's not much more than that because because even in the G League, I can't tell you what he did in the G League that, that, is, that is, well, if he got an opportunity, he could show you that in the NBA. No, in the G League, he set a screen, rolled to the rim, caught a lob. Like he, he, he sat in the dunker spot and waited for a dump off pass. That is all he did like, offensively. That's just what he is. And then defensively, he just he would just get exposed in the NBA because he, he could only play drop. And even on drop, he's not like an elite rim protector. He just kind of puts his arms up. But he doesn't swat shots and, and, and wall off at the rim. He just kind of hopes for the best. So like, there's just not a lot there for a seven-footer. That's that's not very mobile defensively and offensively. Their only real skill set is flashing through the paint, and that's just not how the Thunder want to play. Like you don't want to clog up the paint. So overall, that's kind of the the meat and potatoes, the sad meat and potatoes of uh, of Sar. Yeah, I thought that he shot decently from three this year, at least at the Thunder level. Uh, but I'm I'm with you. He's he's a fine player. There's nothing to be um, you know discouraged about that or you know embarrassed about that he's going to be an end of the rotation big who's on a two-way who comes in if you have an injury or you need somebody load manage or it's the end of the season and you need another guy who's spot there he had a really great game against the clippers i think it was uh but other than that he's just he's he's solid and he's fine and that's what you probably expect from guys at the lower end of the expect uh, of the lower end of the rotation um i don't even know if we can really give a grade here with, with all that being said I think that with three two-way deals now, yeah, you can make the argument that he should be back because because if you do run into injuries, at least this is a guy that is different than what is typically in a Thunder scouting report that he can go in there for five or ten minutes and change the look for the opposition. So, like, even though I'm down on his like potential to be in the actual you know, rotation and maybe he can be a standard guy as a two-way guy, he can dominate in the G League and then and then give you a different look at the NBA level. That's kind of what you want your two-way guy to be anyway, most of the time especially when that with that third extra one where you can still have two upside swings and then have him uh, d- w- w- with kind of the anchoring of the three slots. So with that being said, I wouldn't mind him being back next year, but if you're ever envisioning him turning into a, a true NBA player, I think that's just not going to happen. Like I, it's just not going to happen for, for him. Uh, and you can kind of just safely pass him off of what you saw was what you're going to get. Cause that's what you got in the, in the G too. Is there a, is there even a way that we can grade his season? I, I think it's pretty difficult whenever he kind of came on late and then he played for the Thunder just in very, very limited sample size. Well, I think I think that it would be an A for both because, like you said, that Clippers yeah. game was massive. There were times where he was the only one on the floor getting rebounds, which which helped you win games and, and then other times just helped you stay competitive in games. And then in the G League, he was great. He was a, he was a great league player. Awesome. Like He was great. Double-double type of guy. That's cool. But like, does that really matter? It's like, that's my G League grade for him. He was awesome. But at the NBA level, he was also awesome for what you asked him to do, not on the scope of other NBA players. Like if it was like an ACT test where you're just getting a baseline of their knowledge, he'd fail. But if you if you were putting him in a classroom where you had a course curriculum for him, he would pass because he did check off the boxes you wanted him to at the NBA. But it's just not repeatable, sustainable, and you can't play in bulk minutes. So what's kind of the deal here? Yeah, and man, the the sample size is just very low. 114 minutes in nine games. I mean, Shea gets that in a week. So it's just one of those things where it's very hard to judge. But I'd give him like a B plus, A minus just based on the expectations for him because, you know, we are grading on a scale. You can't, you know, Shea's A and Olivier Sar's A are not the same. I don't think any of us are trying to justify that. But let's move on to the guy that 
This is the only reason you wanted to come on the podcast is to talk about this guy, and that's Jared Butler. We don't have an hour to go, but I will give you the floor to talk about Jared Butler and his blue experience in the Thunder this year. Jared Butler, my king. Uh, look, I think that Jared Butler should be back next year in the 2 way deal because I think that uh, he has enough potential still that you put him in this system. You got three two-way deals to just throw around nowadays. One of the three should be Jared Butler. He's a really, really good pick-and-roll ball handler that, that can make plays and score from the pick-and-roll. I think that he has better than what you'd expect defense, considering whenever you look at him, you might not think he's a defensive stopper. He's not a defensive stopper, but he is a very good defender for what, what he is. And the catch-and-shoot numbers were better than expected with the small sample size blue. Again, th- this this guy gets an NA. Like he just gets an NA on grades because he just did not play enough for the blue or for the Thunder. Because by the time he got here, the, either the Thunder had him on their bench or the G League season was over. So like there was a lot of times where we didn't get to see him that much in the G League. But like what we did get to see in the G League from this year at the blue level and the Thunder level, not, not counting his previous stops, he was a good pick-and-roll guy, good catch-and-shoot guy, uh, and scored at the rim really well. And you saw in that game against Memphis, and, and that was a hustle versus blue game, even though they were wearing Thunder and Grizzly jerseys. He got to the rim efficiently. He 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 knifed through the defense, and there were times where uh, the ball maybe rimmed out at the rim, but he got a clean look there. And like that kind of stuff is encouraging. Now, as much as I like Jared Butler, is he ever going to be a rotational player in the NBA? I don't think so. But he can be a very valuable end of bench guy where you don't want him in your eight man rotation. You don't want him in your 10 man rotation, but you keep him around just kind of tethered to your franchise. As if you get a couple guard injuries, you're not going to find a, a more mature guy that you trust to run your offense and you trust to, 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 to thrive on both ends of the floor in that role. And that's, that's who he is. He's a spot starter. He's a guy to go eat up innings. If, if something drastic happened to your guard depth, next year he'd be a guy you can turn to to be a steady hand just like you know if something dramatic happened to your ace starter uh in his next start you'd go to the 15-year journeyman out of the bullpen to eat up 10 innings you know in, in the next game so uh, that's kind of who he is uh and and while doing that he'll show some flashes he'd get five strikeouts but like he'd also get up a couple couple doubles in the gap so i i think that the the outlook for him is the best case scenario He's a 14th guy that, that that you trust if you get injuries. And then you just weigh, weigh the consequences of, would you rather have a two-way slot filled by a guy who, who at best can be a 14th man on your roster? Or would you rather go diamond hunting again and fill it with an undrafted free agent this year? Like whoever doesn't get drafted in, in the June draft, fill it with one of those guys. Maybe a Grant Sherfield or someone like that. Like, like just as a name of like a, a, someone you might know that won't get drafted. What's the better play there? Who's to say? But I think that that he can be a 14th man at the NBA level and a really, really good G League player. Yeah, I'm excited to see him over the offseason. He's sort of a break in case of emergency backup, like you mentioned. Um, he has very similar kind of measurements to Trey Mann. He outweighs him by about 15 pounds. Uh, Butler does, uh, does, but they're both 6'3". And I think that he can provide some extra shooting and ball handling. I just don't know that the Thunder are the best team for him to be trying to break into the rotation on. I think that he can be an NBA player, like you mentioned, like a back half of the rotation guy. But the Thunder are just so stacked with how many ball handlers they have. I think for him to break in and get any minutes, he's going to have to shoot just the lights out completely. Yeah, he, it would take a dramatic showing uh, from him uh, from beyond the arc to like ever break into the rotation. And I think that the reason why you might want to that he might would want to come back because you're right. Like like looking at it from like the minutes perspective, he will be uphill, you know, up up a creek without a paddle, trying to get into this rotation. He just will, even though I like him. But there's not many there's not many franchises that invest in the G League the way that the Thunder do. And so even if his whole season is on that third two way deal and he he only plays in five NBA games, even if that's his season, but he gets a full year in the G League with Cam Woods and this staff. That is still better than what other franchises can offer him because you can put a lot on film in that time to then go get the next summer league invite next summer and then try to get to the end of the end of the bench that way. But ultimately, this is a marriage heading for nowhere, uh, but it is a fun time to get there. I don't want to make an analogy with that with that 
topic. I'll tell you that off the air, but like it is a marriage that's going nowhere, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun right now. Just along for the ride. And the, the fact of the matter is, you know, Trey and him are going to be in similar positions, but Trey, because of what they've invested in him, he's going to get the first shot, first crack at it, second, third, fourth, probably at it because they invested in a first round pick in him. Whereas Jared Butler is just a two way guy, uh, but it should be interesting We'll see if they keep him along over the summer for um, the summer league. Maybe we'll see him and uh, Usman Jang in some of those pick and rolls like you talked about. That'd be a lot of fun. I, I hope that he's on the summer league team. That'd be a lot of fun. Is there anything else you'd like to get in on Jared Butler or any of these guys before we get out of here? Uh, Jared Butler's my king. And I think that with Lindy, the last anecdote I want to tell you is that he actually took the press conferences very seriously in the boil. And I, and I appreciated that because uh, he could have just blown us off or could have just said no. Uh, because in the G League, like it's not like regulated like the NBA is. We just ask Cole, like, hey, can we talked to this guy. He's like, well, let me go see if they're done changing. And then the guy either says no or he does come. And so uh, he did come. All the, every time we asked him, he came to the podium. Uh, as soon as he was available, he came and he talked to us and just like and like he talked to us, just like we're talking right now. And, and it was less formal, but it was really fun to talk to him. And, and he did say, if you're wondering why he ditched his headband midway through the year, he said he ditched it because it was squeezing his head. I asked him, I was like, hey. I'm a big accessories guy. Why no headband anymore? Squeezing his head too much. So that's my scoop of the day. Throwing him off. Yeah, not enough uh, blood flowing in there. But thank you so much for coming on with Rear Island. Can you plug anything that you have going on? Because I know that you have a lot of draft coverage. You're writing articles. You're doing five pods a week, uh, six on Friday, whatever it is. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, you can uh, you can find me locked on Thunder podcast anywhere you get your podcast from and on YouTube. Uh, and then thundersintentions.com. So thank you again, Michael, for having me. Always enjoy our chats. Always. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to hang out sometime and talk about um, some players that nobody cares about except for the two of us and some NBA nerdum, some uh, Abdul Nader talk or something like that. Where we're gonna we're gonna have podcasts that are released to no one because no one should have to listen to that. Yeah, we'll talk Austin Reeves. We'll talk Grant Sherfield. We'll talk uh, Darius Basley. Yeah, some of those. Yep, maybe. Uh, but anyways, thanks, Ryland, for coming on with me. Thank you all. Uh, to of you for listening to this podcast make sure to like subscribe comment rate us five stars on apple spotify wherever you get your podcasts we are the thunder buddies at thunderbud pod on twitter and we'll be back again for more thunder and nba talk again on tuesday just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.